Good morning. Carol. Hey, Carol. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Go easy. <sighs> I've never played guitar in a swimming pool before. <laughs> I sure feel like it now. It's hot up here. Now, I know what I'm speaking on, and it's going to come up on that wall at some point, isn't it? Yes, there we go. But way back, like at the first slide, not, yeah. <sighs> All right, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for your great love. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we proclaim is in that last song, finally free. We are free from sin, we are free from death as we heard in our previous meeting and Lord the day is coming when we will be finally free and forever see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face I pray for everybody who is here Lord that that is their testimony that they know him and if not Lord today may be the day that they could put their trust in him and be saved forever Father we thank you for this day I know it's very hot I just pray that you'd help with um, each of us with um, just patience and being attentive, and um, just pray for your guidance in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I am going to try to respect the fact that it is sweltering in here, and it's actually more sweltering if you're up here than down there, but uh, that's the way it is. Now, I, I've been thinking about this passage, and I've been doing a little series on kind of like Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead. You were lost in your trespasses and sins, or dead in your trespasses and sins, even worse than lost, but God, because of his great mercy and his great love with which he loved us. And so I thought I'd go back and I'd look at, where's the first place in all the Bible where but God is mentioned? And it's back in the book of Genesis, back in the story of Noah, and I'm going to do a marathon today, and I'm going to cover off Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. Uh, so you know I'm hitting the high points, you know, and you know me and my desire to get into geology and fossils and, and all that stuff and creation and stuff. I'm not going to go there today. Just I'll tell you right up front, I'm not going there. So that's for another time, and maybe we'll arrange a field trip to Joggins or something like that, and we'll do that. But I was walking downtown as they were painting sidewalks recently, and I thought, oh, my God, what is going to bring judgment down on this city? This is so much, a celebration of sin, and you're going, to, like, are you going to judge the city? And then, you know what, I got my car, and I cooled off, and I thought, you know what, why haven't you judged me for my sin? I'm no different. My sin is just as wretched as any other sin. And God did judge that. And we'll talk about that a little later on, but the judgment of God is, is a, is a, a difficult thing to speak on, but do you ever talk to somebody and you're sharing the gospel with them and they say to you, as soon as you get to the topic of sin, why are you judging me? John, you've never heard that, have you? <laughs> why are you judging me? Well, do you know what? I hate to tell that person, but you judge too. We all judge. We judge like whether we like somebody or not. Uh, we, we, we judge food. We judge restaurants. I'm on Yelp. I'm on Google. And I'm on TripAdvisor, and you can go in and see my reviews. Some of them I'm 
brutally honest, and some of them I'm brutally honest and like it. But some of the ones that I don't like, and you read it and think, you know, I would never stay again in this flea bag joint. The beds were filthy, and there was stains all over the chairs. So that was the place in Bangor, the Super 8. But, but, but then I'll go on Mother's Pizza in Halifax and say, I've never had a bad meal here. You know, so, so I'm judging when I do that stuff. We all judge. Athletes and singers and dancers are judged in competition. Even figure skaters are judged, if it's called a sport. But people sit in a, in a line and, they, and, they, and they, they judge. They're called judges. Well, there's a 3.1 from the Russian judge. Well, I can't understand. Everybody else gave a 9.9 .9 or whatever you're supposed to get. And, and, but they judge. Everybody judges in some way, shape, or form. Law enforcement officers, courtrooms, they judge. They, they judge my driving. They judge crimes in this city and, and, and in this country. But you know, there is a final evaluation in life by a perfect and an impartial judge. One who cannot be bribed, one who cannot, he's got all the facts and he knows and he judges. Abraham called God, I'm supposed to advance this, not just hold it, I guess. Abraham called God the judge of all the earth. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I mean, that, that verse, I had never come across it before. Well, I probably did and read over it. And I remember being in agony the night my grandfather died, just thinking, he's gone. I can't believe it. Like, what? why, God, why? And I came across that verse that night. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What a comfort it was to my soul. But he is called the judge of all the earth. There was a... Um, a judge in the U.S., and he became a judge on the Supreme Court, and his name was uh, Horace Gray. Just an interesting story I ran across. Horace Gray had a man in front of him who was guilty. He knew he was guilty, everybody knew he was guilty, but he got off on a technicality. This is back in the late 1800s. And Horace Gray said to him at the end of the trial, he said, I know that you are guilty, and you know it too. And I want you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and there you will be, will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. I thought, what a great quote that is. There are people who may think that they can go through this world and everybody gives them a pass. But the judge of all the earth does not give a pass on sin and offense against him. And we're going we're gonna to read about that in, in a minute. In Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 23 to, to 26, how about this? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or a, sac a, sat a, a satisfying sacrifice in his, um, in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just. God is, uh, is, is the one who was qualified 
to judge. He alone is just. There is nobody else could stand up. There's not one single judge that could sit on a bench and say, I am just. I'm perfect. I'm 100% perfect, so I have the right to judge you. You know, when I'm talking to somebody, whether it's on the street or at work or wherever it may be, and they say, why are you always judging me? Well, you know what? I'm not qualified to judge you, but there is one who is qualified to judge you. He alone is just. He alone is perfect. You see, if God does not judge, then he's not just. If, he do, if he's not just, he is not perfect. If he's not perfect, then he's not God. And that's what that verse is pretty much telling you. He alone. In Revelation chapter um, 20, verse 12, it speaks of a great white throne judgment where everyone will stand before God to give a final account. And he will have all the facts. It says the books are open. God knows everything. He has all the facts. He has every right to judge. He alone. Now, funny little story here. I, I always enjoy baseball stories, especially from, like, from days of old. So one time, Babe Ruth was at bat, and the judge called him out on strikes. The judge, the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> the umpire called him out on strikes, and the crowd went nuts, and they booed, booed, boo, boo, boo. And he thought, ah, oh, here's my opportunity. He turns to the umpire and he said, you call that a strike? He said, there's 40,000 people in here who differ with you. And he said, yeah, there are. There's 40,000 opinions, but guess what? Only my opinion counts. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, in the end, when you stand before God and he opens the books and he has all the facts, ultimately his judgment is going to be the only one that counts. So let's look at the story of Noah. And first of all, when I say that, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is gonna be a tough message on a hot day. It is. Just, just, to, just to assure you, it will be. In Noah chapter, Noah, in Noah chapter six. <laughs> oh. You know, I think I slept for like 30 seconds last night. In Genesis chapter six, just you can follow along behind me if you wish. It says, now it came about when, the, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the land, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were... Uh, on the earth in those days, or giants, it says in other versions. And afterwards, when the sons of God, uh, when, the, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, as I read that, you think, wow, this is, this is a, a difficult and, and, and frightening prospect. But you see, when I read this, I think God is so slow to anger. God is one who, he, he is patient. He still judges, but he is patient with us. In Psalm 
103, it says, but his, uh, or, or sorry, in Genesis here, in 6 verse 3, it says, my spirit shall not always strive, uh, will not strive with man forever. I memorized King James, but for his days will be 120 years. In Psalm 103, and I believe it's verse 8, he says, God is slow to anger. And then we read several times through the, through the Old Testament that he is long-suffering, meaning that he is slow to anger. The fuse is lit, but he lets it burn long before his, his judgment comes out upon people. So how patient is he? Well, Adam ate the forbidden fruit, but he didn't die for 930 years. He brought death upon the land. He brought death upon all men. You will die because, why? Because Adam disobeyed God because of the original sin. God allowed Adam to live for 930 years. Now there's a story of the Canaanites, and, and this is in Genesis chapter 15, that they had sinned against God and they're doomed. They're absolutely doomed. And God says, I'm gonna pour out my wrath on them. But, but it, <laughs> I should have written the verse down, but it's not full yet. The wrath is not full. And when it is, I will be pouring my wrath out upon them. It took 800 years, 800 years, the patience of God. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. So for 120 years, Noah went up and down and all around between the building project and preached righteousness, it says. He preached for people to come and be saved from this, this judgment of God that is coming. Similar to our guys that walk up and down Spring Garden Road and down around Pizza Corner and down along the waterfront and everywhere else. They're preachers of righteousness. They're not out there just trying to put themselves out there. They do this because they know that this city is going to fall under the judgment of God. Every man and woman and child that just walks by is going to at some point in time face God. We need preachers of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. God seems to let sin accumulate until it gets to a point where his wrath eclipses his mercy. Now, I was at a water park one time. It was kind of cool. I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Calgary. But there's this great big bucket, this huge bucket, and it had a plate underneath it so it didn't kill the children. <laughs> it was like a water park playground area. And water was trickling into the bucket. Trickle, 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 trickle. And then all of a sudden, and you didn't know when this was going to happen, but when there was enough water got in the bucket, all of a sudden that bucket just dumped and fell over and dumped everything that was in it on top of those who were underneath. And I look at it and think, this is a picture of the long-suffering of God. People are storing up wrath. They are storing up for themselves with their sin a moment when the wrath of God will be poured out upon them and upon this earth. It's a, it's a dreadful thing. But there is hope. There was an atheist one time in, in England, his name was Robert Ingersoll, and he loved to travel around and speak about God and how stupid it was to believe in him. Uh, he said he didn't exist, you're foolish to believe in him. We have people like that today. He was famous for this stunt. He would come up to the podium wherever he was speaking and he'd stand there and he'd say, all right, there's my stopwatch. God, you have five minutes to strike me dead if you exist. Five minutes ago by, he grabbed the watch, put it in his pocket, and say, there, I just, I just proved to you there is no God. Well, the story got to a man named Joseph Parker, who was one of the great preachers in London at the time, and Joseph Parker heard it, he just laughed out loud, he said, did the gentleman presume to exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? He 
You see, God was merciful to him. But God has a long fuse when it comes to his wrath. God is very patient when it comes to his wrath. The Bible speaks of the certainty of his judgment for everyone. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, it's appointed to man to die once, and after this, the judgment. It's very interesting. We just read about this day when this flood is going to come, and Jesus linked the flood judgment with the final judgment. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. A couple things about this. One, if you have a problem with the story of the Noah and the ark and you think it's a child story or a made-up story or just a myth, then your problem is not with me, it's with Jesus because Jesus fully believed in the flood, the account of the flood. He fully believed and preached about Noah. So if you have a problem with the story of the ark, you have a problem with Jesus Christ. You see... I'll give you another illustration if I can. There was, a, there was a young boy and a man, they were traveling along the old Wild West and they were on a stagecoach. I don't know what a stagecoach is, but it's one of those things that you see in Bonanza. And, and if you didn't have Bonanza in your home, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But stagecoach is the way they used to get around. They had horses and they would pull this thing and a stagecoach, it was a, it was a, it was a car of the day and it moved at horse speed. And so they were going along, and this, this young fellow falls off the thing. And just as he's about to fall off and be swept underneath it, this man reaches down and he grabs the boy and he hauls him back up into the thing and saved his life. Well, time goes by. The man goes on to, he was studying law at the time, and he goes on, he ultimately becomes a judge. The boy ultimately decided to become a criminal. And one day, He's standing in front of this man. And he said, I recognize you, sir. And he said, I recognize you. He said, good. Um, remember that time you saved me when I was, he goes, I remember it very well. He said, but just let's understand something, young man. That day I was there to be your savior. Today I'm here to be your judge. You see, Jesus Christ died to be your savior Jesus Christ provided salvation. He, he reached down to all of mankind. He came down, and he died on a cross to take your sin so that he could become like one of us, but perfect and pure and bear our sins away to be your savior. And if you don't accept him as your savior, you will face him as your judge. You don't want that. You want him as your savior. The... Um, it's interesting that Jesus linked this flood to future judgment. The days of Noah, what were they like? Well, population was increasing like crazy. Population was, was just growing and growing. It says that the men multiplied upon the earth. It's estimated that the very, very conservative estimate, and this is Henry Morris and John Whitcomb did, did the math on it, and they're kind of math guys, 
they estimated that there was probably about a billion people on the earth at that time. Somewhere between 800 million to a billion minimum on the earth. Families were bigger, people lived longer, they had a lot of kids, and so on. You know when the next time we had a billion people on the earth was? Anybody want to throw out a guess? Nobody wants to guess. Nick? Yeah. When? 1804. 1804. Guess when two billion came? 1927. Real quick. Once you get a billion, you, you move on pretty quick. That's how pa fast population can explode. Three billion, 1960, in my lifetime. Sort of. Yeah, I'm not that old. Uh, and then today, we have 7.7 7 to 7.8 billion people in the world. Exponential growth. Which tells me, I don't think man's been on the earth for millions of years. Because otherwise you'd have to wipe out billions over and over and over and over again and start again. I told you I wouldn't get into that stuff, but I am. <laughs> so there was an increase of, of, of population. There was an increasing sexual depravity. We read that in verses two to four about the, the sons of God and the daughters of men and, and the, the, really the family and, and, and the design of God was, was thrown aside and, and people committed gross sexual sin. And the results of it, it talks about these giants that were in the land. There were mutations from what went on with, with, with uh, what, what was going on in the day. The wickedness was crazy. I mean, again, what got me thought, thinking of this, like what went on in our own city not 24 hours ago, celebrating sexual depravity. This is today and back then. Our population is increasing like crazy. Sexual depravity is increasing. It's, it's just weird, the stuff you read, the stuff that... that is happening in our world. The next thing is an increase in witness, in wickedness. You know, when my, my dad worked in, in, he was a prison guard, so he used to talk about, oh, he says, everybody there. He says, I know, I know them all. I said, well, yeah, you must get new people. He goes, not really. He said that most of them are repeat offenders or habitual offenders. They just keep coming back. You know, that, that's what the courts call you. You're a habitual of offender. Man has become a habitual offender. We just keep falling into sin and falling into more sin and more sin. Wickedness just increased, increasing violence. I mean, think of what's happening. Just this comic factory in Japan the other day. Guy comes in and says, you're all dead and kills 33 people. I mean, crazy. People driving cars and vans into crowds of people. The violence in our world. And don't let them tell you that statistics are saying it's decreasing. It's not, it's increasing. Household violence, home violence, mothers against children and, and parents against their own children, or uh, adults against their own uh, parents and so on. We are seeing the same thing as they saw back then. Verse 11, that's where you find that. Now during the time of God's patience, in all of this, what are we supposed to do? What do we do? We repent. God is giving, God's patience is one thing. It's an opportunity to repent. It's an opportunity to turn from sin, to turn away from it, and to turn to him. I think of the city of Nineveh. If you remember the story, again, not a made-up story, Jonah, because Jesus talked about Jonah, just as Jonah was three days. So if you have a problem with Jonah, you have a problem with Jesus, once again. So Jesus talked about, or uh, Jonah was told to go and walk through the city and just preach. 
street preacher. He was one of the, one of the early street preachers. Go through and go from one end to the other. It's 40 days it's going to take you to walk from one end to the other and preach. And just tell them, God is going to bring his wrath down upon this city. That's all, that's, that's all you have to tell them. The wrath of God is falling on the city. And what happened? The whole city repented. They all repented, and they were spared. That is what turns away God's judgment. That's what we are to do during this time of God's extended favor. In, uh, in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, we read this, But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think, I mean, there's, there's the answer to somebody who says, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. There's the answer to that. Some people say, well, I'm not as bad as some of the people who live on my street or in my apartment building. But it says, do you suppose, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? We will all stand, unless we have come to Christ, we will all stand before judgment. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. God is patient. God is long-suffering. God delays his wrath upon this earth. Next, God, God judges, but he differentiates. One of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible it talks about the depravity of man. It talks about how wicked this had grown in the land, how violence was in the land. And it says, but Noah, but Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. But, but, a turning point. I love that little word. Wherever you read it, pretty much talks about a turning point from hopelessness to hope. Grace means favor or was pleasant. Noah was one, a man of righteousness, one who served God, who, who thought about God, who loved God, who was a believer. He was a believer in God. He was a righteous man. And it says that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now here is some verses about the eyes of the Lord. Don't miss that part. Where did he find favor? In the eyes of the Lord. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, I was reading about eagles. Eagles are amazing animals. Every time John Wells calls me, an eagle head comes up on my phone. I don't know if you know that's there, but, it, but it's there. Mm. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> an eagle's eye is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. From, from uh, I, I'm not sure how far up it is. I have it in, oh yeah, here we go. An eagle can spot a dime in six inches of grass from 600 feet above the grass. That's amazing eyesight. From three to four kilometers away, an eagle can see a rabbit hopping through a field. An eagle has an amazing eyesight, amazing eyesight. But God's eyesight's even better. It says here, it says, all things are open and laid bare in the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Proverbs 5:21 For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he looks at people differently than we do because he knows everything. He sees right into your very soul. He sees beyond what you do. He sees your intent. He sees what you're thinking. 
He sees what you are before you even do it. 1 Samuel, God sees not as man sees. He looks, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees you based on your intentions. You see, Noah judgment was sent upon this earth but Noah was spared. He was differentiated from the others because of his faith in God, he trusted God. But God also he judges individuals. We read that all through the scriptures. God's God's judgment will come and he will differentiate. He will judge people differently each and every one, but they will stand before him and give an account for what they've done. Now, the, the other thing is God uh, differentiates, but he doesn't exempt. You know, the judgment of God, and I'm not, I, I won't read this passage. I'll, I'll just, I put it up there for your reading pleasure if, if you'd like to look at it. Noah brought, or, uh, the Lord brought Noah and the, and the family into the ark, and then the waters came and prevailed on the earth, and so basically they were in this ark, for 13 months while the judgment of God was poured out upon the earth. Every person that had the breath of life in their nostrils, everything except for the fishes, drowned and died. So when I say he differentiates but he doesn't exempt, the judgment of God affects us. It should affect us. It affected Noah. Here's Noah in this box bobbing up and down, but when it all started, and I heard about this play, and I don't know, somebody told me that they were there, and they could almost not bear it, but it was, it was the story of Noah, and Noah was in the ark, and the door, was, the door was shut and sealed, and the rain started falling, and then people started coming when it was too late, and pounding on the side of the ark, begging, Noah, open up, please let us in, please, but it was too late. The judgment of God had already fallen, do you, do you think Noah would have gone through that and not be affected? Do you think that would not move Noah? Do you think for the next 13 months as he floated around, because Noah would have had relatives. He had three sons and their daughters with them, or their wives with them, and his wife. But he would have had other friends, other family, other relatives. And they were all gone. They would all perish. You don't think that would have affected him? Of course it did. The judgment of God should affect us. It should sober us. We don't stand in the middle of the city and say, God, you should bring judgment down on these people. Look at them. They're horrible. We don't do that. We never gloat that the judgment of God is coming upon man. It should never cheer us up that God will judge people for their sins. It should move us to warn them. It should move us and bring us to tears to think we have people in our own families, we have loved ones, we have neighbors, we have friends. We have teachers, we have classmates who will face the judgment of God. That should affect me. I'm not exempt from the, from the terrible things of the judgment of God because I have loved ones who may face that. That should stir us up. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we give you the good news. You don't have to go under the judgment of God. You don't have to face it. My last and fourth point on this is God doesn't exempt us from experiencing or, or understanding the, his judgment, but it says God remembers. 
It says, but God. This is where I, this is where I want to start, actually. <laughs> so there's my introduction. Uh, <sighs> no, I, I'm almost done. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. If you really want to know how that all happened, read Psalm 104, and it talks about how he just sent the, sent the waters back to their place, and he caused the mountains to go where they're supposed to go, and he caused the valleys to go down where they're supposed to go, and he caused a boundary so that the sea would not go over the earth. Psalm 104, great creation psalm. It says, but God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. It doesn't mean that God was busy doing something over here and he goes, oh, Noah, right. 13 months ago, I sent him into that boat, forgot about him. It's not that at all. It means that now the judgment has passed, now it is final, now it is done, I'm turning my full attention now to Noah. I'm gonna start acting fully on their behalf now and on mankind's behalf from here on. They've been safe, they've been saved through this time, and now for the rest of time, my attention will be turned to Noah, and because he turned to Noah, he turned to you. But God turned his attention to mankind when Noah came out of this ark. You know, it sounds like a pretty gloomy story, but it is not a story of death. If it was, God would have just wiped everybody out and it would have just been done. It's a story of life. It's a story of a provision of a way for life for you and for me. God provided salvation in an ark for Noah and his family. And that's a picture of a salvation that God has provided for you and for me. Beginning with eight people floating in a wooden box, God starts a whole new generation. We descend from Noah. In, and his sons in some way. Chapters one to seven of Genesis, creation, fall, then the flood. And then from eight onward, it's life after the flood. And it points through Shem, um, through Shem his, Noah's son, to Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. Everything from that point on is to point ahead for mankind for salvation. Salvation from judgment to come. Human lineage that would go from from Shem to Jesus Christ, and our life is in him. Now, God had not forgotten Noah. God had not left him alone. Just like God has not left you alone. God remembers you. God acts towards you. God acts in kindness towards you. And if you know him, we know that. Somebody shared this morning at the Lord's Supper about prayer about prayer. We don't pray because it's a ritual. I mean, you know, you can, you can kneel by your bed and say, now lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that means nothing. But when your heart is broken and you're a believer and you pour your heart out to God, you're pouring your heart out to one who remembers. You're pouring your heart out to the but God God. You're pouring your heart out to the one who saves, the one who who is mighty to save, the one who, who cares about you, the one who loves you, who has called you his own child. This is a story of life. This is a story of a new beginning. This is a story of salvation. Salvation is a new beginning. Anyone who's in Christ, he is a new creation, a new beginning. 
So, so what? What about you? Today. But God remembered Noah. God had a plan for Noah. You know, if you're a believer, he has a plan for you and for your life. I, I, I always find this an encouraging verse. It's one of my favorites. Paul writes, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you on the day that he saved me, he that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in you, in your life, changing you, changing the way you think. I was talking to somebody at the fellowship the other night. It was a wonderful fellowship, by the way, over at the Demolitors. And so if you missed that one, come to the next one, whenever it's gonna be. But it was wonderful. We got to talk, and I, I was talking about talking to somebody and I said like it just the, the, the things that God works on in my life that God, God changes perfecting us changing us conforming us to be more like Jesus Christ transforming us I mean if you're a believer you don't have to face him as judge he's your savior a final judgment is coming and it won't be water it'll be fire the earth won't be flooded if you read in 2 Peter chapter 3 you'll read all about it God is going to judge this earth. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, speaks of the judgment that is coming upon this earth. You don't have to face judgment. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ faced it for you. He took all of your sin. He took all those things that qualify you to be judged on himself and died in your place so that you can be free and never face the judgment of God. Jesus says, and I put it in red because it's his words, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. May that be your story today. I hope you've passed from death into life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he is your ark. He is the one who will rescue you. I'm going to ask them to come up so we can sing a, a closing song. You guys okay to sing? Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. The last song, which I was going to put the... All right, it's okay. Don't have to. The last song uh, that we want to sing, it's called When I See the Blood, but there's a line in that that says, Judgment is coming. All will be there. Each one... Uh, What's that? Each one receiving justly his due. O sinner. O great. Uh, yeah. How's it go? Sorry. I'm, I'm. O boundless love. And God will pass, will pass over you. You don't have to face judgment. He may finish the sermon. He did my last point. <laughs> Thank you. So let's stand together. We'll sing this song and we'll be done.